0: Welcome to Paris Good Food & Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So sit back and relax and enjoy Paris Good Food & Wine. For this episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine, we have with us one of the world's top chefs, namely Mauro Coligreco. Chef Coligreco's restaurant, Mirazur, near the Italian border in the south of France, was ranked the world's number four best restaurant last month by the prestigious and well-respected San Pellegrino World's Top 50 Restaurants list. Chef Colo Greco also has two Michelin stars for Mirazor. I caught up with him while he was doing a special chef's dinner at his other restaurant, Le Grand Coeur in the Marais, here in Paris. He talks to us about the differences between northern and southern French cooking. Next, I get to talk to you straight from the rooftops of Paris. This interview with urban gardener and landscape architect Christophe Gautron took place in the rooftop garden of the Mandarin Oriental Paris Hotel. The inspiration for this came from resident executive chef, the two Michelin star Thierry Marx. With Christophe's help, chef Marx uses his Parisian rooftop garden to grow herbs that infuse his dishes for sur mesure, his restaurant at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Paris. Grown up here are fragrant herbs like curry plant and strawberry mint, which smell exactly like their names imply, respectively curry and fresh mint crushed with strawberries. So join us for our season three finale of Paris Good Food and Wine, coming to you directly from the French capital, Paris. Chef Mauro Colagreco, you are here in Paris for a special um, event this evening. So we're so privileged to take a bit of your time. I grabbed you basically out of the kitchens um, at your from your restaurant here at, at Grand Cour, but you're going to talk to us a little bit about your world famous restaurant as well, uh, which is which is Mirazur. So you want to just say hello, and then I will ask you the first question. Okay.
1: So, hello. Uh, yeah. Yes, I'm I'm very happy with this event for tonight. Very exciting. We invite a, a great chef and a big uh, friend of Uruguay uh, here in our restaurant in Paris. But let's go to talk about uh, Mirazur.
0: Great. Thank you. Yes. Well, you know, your restaurant Mirazur in Menton, it, it's world famous and it regularly makes the world's best 50 restaurants list and ranks in the top 10. So what was your philosophy, chef, when you started this restaurant? I mean, was your intention to make it a world's best restaurant or did that just follow naturally from your philosophy and your skill?
1: I will talk in in French because uh, my English is a little limited. Alors, uh, la philosophie de laquelle on a... On a voulu euh, donner à cet restaurant c'est une c'est de raconter euh, ce terroir merveilleux qui est la Côte d'Azur où on a entre la France l'Italie Monaco donc euh, plein de cultures différentes. The philosophy that we wanted to have for this restaurant, Mirazur, it was to show this wonderful terroir la mer, la montagne, that is the Côte d'Azur,
2: located in Monton, between France, Italy Mille, and Monaco, So lots of different cultures and with magnificent products harvested from the sea to the mountains. We can be sunbathing in the morning at the beach and go snow skiing in the mountains in the afternoon. It's really great. So we wanted to show off this terroir with a vision of someone who's not from there, someone who is neither Italian nor French. So I sort of pushed the boundaries between what is French and what is Italian. Found the best of what is Italian and the best of what is French, and
1: did something that was true to my personal vision. frontière, qui on peut c'est comme le nom et veut, c'est limite. Moi, j'ai dépassé limites d'un côté de l'autre pour aller chercher le meilleur d'Italie, le meilleur de la France, et faire quelque chose. A vision.
0: Well, and it's obviously a vision that resonates with a lot of people because, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, and you're too humble to mention, but it, it's continually in the top ten of the 50 World's Best Restaurants, Pellegrino. Well, that that leads me to the next question. You know, um, your restaurant, your Paris restaurant he, here in the Marais, um, Le Grand Cour. It's another really big success. It's been open for about two years or so now, and so. What type of restaurant did you set out to create with this one, specifically in terms of the dining experience? Because it's a different feel than Mirazur.
1: Oui, ici justement, on a voulu faire quelque chose de totalement différent à Mirazur. Euh, on a la, la chance d'avoir deux endroits magnifiques, tant Mirazur en face de la mer avec une vue incroyable. Et ici, dans un endroit au plein cœur de Paris... Yes, exactly.
2: Here we wanted to do something totally different from Mirazur. We are lucky to have two magnificent uh, locations. Mirazur, which faces the sea and has an incredible view, and here, in this space, right in the heart of Paris, very intimate with this wonderful courtyard terrace and the dance school where you find an ambience that is at one and the same time a bit melancholy and also joyful. It depends on the dance class that's taking place at the time whose sounds pour into the courtyard, But above all, it's a very joyful space. That is what we wanted to communicate in our cuisine here. We wanted to present a cuisine that is comfortable, a cuisine that is full of sunshine and freshness, made with quality products, top quality products. All of our vegetables are organic from small producers. But we wanted a place where you could come and eat several times a week where you come to taste a dish and then still want to taste yet another. Here, it's all about gourmandise, or refined tastes, and the taste from childhood. That is what we wanted, a cuisine for sharing, a cuisine of love, we
1: could say.
0: If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with Chef Mauro Colagreco. This episode has been brought to you by the generous support of Paris Food and Wine. Follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine, Facebook at Paris Food and Wine, and you can find me on Instagram at Food Wine. Hence the name Grand Cour. It's a cuisine of love, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Lots chef. of love in the in the kitchens, yeah, and in and in the plates. Yeah, yeah. That definitely comes through. And you're right, you know, having lunch or dinner here and listening to the sounds of the rehearsals from the dance studios right above. It's just it's magical. It's a magical yeah. magical place. Well, now the you know, the third question I wanted to ask you, Chef, was. You work then in both areas of France. I mean, I know you're mostly in the south at, at Mirazur, but you know what it's like to work in both areas of France, which are very different, actually, the south of France. So can you talk a little bit, please, about how the culinary landscape differs between the south of France and Paris? I mean, what are the different sources of inspiration? Um and what about your native Argentina? Are there still some influences that you that you take from Argentina?
1: Alors, c'est c'est une très bonne question parce que c'est vrai que la France elle est elle est tellement diverse dans les différentes cuisines pas seulement du sud et du nord mais c'est vrai que le sud et le nord il est vraiment marqué. Uh, surtout, je dirais, la cuisine méditerranéenne et la cuisine du Nord, non? Uh, okay, well, um, that's a
2: very good question, because it's true. France le le is west, really diverse, not just the plus South plus and the North, but it's true, the South and the North are really differentiated uh, by ideas of Mediterranean cuisine for the South and the cuisine du Nord for the North. In the Southwest, we do a cuisine that, la that la is closer place, to the North, no? In the south, the big difference is with the seasonings and what the cooking fats use. In the north, we use more cream and butter, and in the south, we use more olive oil.
1: Southern cuisine is more full of vegetables, these
2: wonderful vegetables full of our sunshine that we are lucky to have pretty much all year. In the north, we're more in a cooking style of soups, lengthy simmering, things you want to reheat. I think these are the two characteristics that represent the real difference between the cuisine of northern France, and the cuisine of the South, which is what I do mostly, but that doesn't mean I don't like the cuisine of northern France. It's very interesting. In that regard, when we opened this restaurant, Le Grand Coeur, we had to rethink our approach to French southern cooking, because we work with products that come from Brittany, for example. So wonderful vegetables, too, but products that are from an altogether different natural rhythm, sunshine, climate. It's very interesting. But I would say that the D'ailleurs, big difference is a tradition uh, of cooking with butter de, versus de cooking with olive
1: oil refaire, repenser notre notre façon, notre approche de, de la cuisine du sud, euh, parce que ben, on travaille avec des produits qui viennent de Bretagne, par exemple, des légumes merveilleux aussi, mais qui on est dans un autre rythme naturel de, de du soleil, du climat et um, c'est très intéressant mais je, je dirais que la grande différence c'est la cuisine des huiles d'olive et la cuisine du beurre. Um, that, après, pour, influences, pour les influences of course cuisine is sûr, something that is born from one's memories no? que, um, so
2: then, as est, for myself i was born into des, an italian family because my grandparents were italian But I was born in Argentina and have the nationality of Argentinian. I feel Argentinian. And in these memories of grilled meats over a wood fire, big vegetable gardens where my grandparents had me eat fresh tomatoes straight from the vine. My memories are a mix of cuisines between the Indians and the indigenous people of South America, the native Indians of Argentina and the Spanish. So a cuisine very interesting with lots of native ingredients, Indian potatoes, potatoes, Uh, um, corn, these sort of things.
1: Me, Uh, I don't do Argentinian cuisine, not at Mirazor and not at Grand Cœur. But little by little, from time to time, uh, there are small touches that uh, come into my cooking, uh, such as the uh, way to cook meat,
2: especially when the weather is so nice like today. We light the fire and we have some fun. In this way, I still sometimes have a bit of my childhood memories present
1: in the dishes I prepare l'argentine et, et les espagnols donc une cuisine très très intéressante euh, euh, avec beaucoup des de ingrédients particuliers de là bas comme les, les, les pommes de terre les maïs euh. donc ces choses là je, euh, je fais pas une cuisine argentine ni ni au mila sur ni euh, ni cioccolanqueur mais Petit à petit, de temps en temps, euh, il y a un produit qui vient, il y a une façon de cuire, une viande de temps en temps. Quand il fait beau comme ça, euh, on allume le feu et, et on se fait plaisir. Voilà, et C'est comme ça que, que, que j'incorpore un peu mes, mes souvenirs d'enfance dans mes, dans mes plats
0: chef I'm I'm sure that everything that informs you your uh, it- Italian grandparents your Argentinian upbringing your your life here spent for um, almost a couple of decades now in France it all informs your very unique style of, of cooking that obviously you know, Re- like we said earlier, resonates with so many people because you're consistently ranked as, as one of the top in the world. I, I just, I want to thank you so very much for your, for your time today. Do you have any words of encouragement for somebody who is dying to try your restaurant at Mirazur?
1: <laughs> no, I, I really want to, to thank you for these uh, nice um, talks. And, um, no, just I, I'm very honored. I'm very happy to to have your uh, um, interview. But the, the, the people who want to come in Mirasur is a really nice place. It's unique on the world, I think. And um, we are there for waiting for, for all of you. Uh, thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Chef. A very special thank you to voiceover artist Paul Reen, who did the English voiceover for the Chef Maro Collagreco interview. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Page Donner. Looking for something fun with wine to do this month? Check May 19th and 20th off on your calendar. These are the days, a Friday and a Saturday, when La Revue de Vin de France, France's most widely read wine magazine, holds their annual wine-tasting salon, Le Salon du Vin, in the center of Paris. It takes place at the Palais Brognard, also known as the Bourges, in the second arrondissement. Over 200 major wine producers will be present and pouring their wines for you to taste. Also, for English speakers this year, Frank Romage, the wine director of Le Cordon Bleu, will be hosting a special workshop on food and wine pairings that will be presented in both English and French. That takes place on Friday, May 19th, from 5 to 6 p.m., with a nominal cost of 12 euros. General admission to Le Salon du Vin event is 23 euros for a one-day pass and 28 euros for a two-day pass. If you purchase the pass in advance from their website, La Revue du Vin de France, you'll even get a discount. The Pass gives you free access to taste any and all of the wines from the 200 top wine producers featured at the Salon. Additional workshops such as a tasting of Chateau de Quim are featured on the schedule and come with a recognized named sommelier wine professional to guide the experience. Check for ticket availability beforehand because these popular events sell out fast. More information can be found on the La Revue de Vins de France website, as well as on our website, Local Food & Wine and Paris Food & Wine, and also Twitter at Paris Food Wine. Next up, we'll be hearing from Christophe Gautran. He's the urban gardener and landscape architect for Chef Thierry Marx's Rooftop Garden at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Paris. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paris, Good Food and Wine, available on iTunes. It's so lovely to have just come back from this tour of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Paris' Rooftop Garden with the landscape architect who's sitting right here with me, Christophe Gautron. And, uh, he's worked closely, you've worked closely with, um, the management team here at the Mandarin Oriental. And then, of course, the celebrated chef Thierry Marx, deux étoiles, two, two Michelin stars, um, and world famous to plant this urban, urban garden, potager. I know you say in French. Tell us a little bit about what you planted and, and how this all came about.
3: Hello and um one years ago uh Thierry marx came to to see me uh because he wants an uh vegetal gardens on the rooftop of the the hotel and uh I explained to him uh, it was uh a really small uh places to make vegetal gardens and it could be interesting uh to make a herbs garden. It's a little bit different because uh herbs gardens need a less places uh, than the vegetal gardens and the herb gardens could be used for infusion for a, a finish a plate or something like that and you can just use a less number of leaves for make kitchen uh, so it was more adapted for the mandarin oriental I uh, imagine, uh, I created for the chief remarks a uh, sort of table, a long table with three parts of this table. Uh, the first part was a, a table with all and on this all pot with uh, mint, uh, with uh, a sauge, uh, with romarin or thyme. Uh, let me, the,
0: let me stop you there a little bit, Christoph, because I, I can visualize this now very well because we just, we were just walking around that, that gorgeous rooftop, uh, from which the views are absolutely tremendous. I mean, Sacre Coeur on one side and the Tour Eiffel, the Eiffel Tower on the other side. But yes, this, this table that you, that you built, I mean, y- you have things planted, uh, on the ground, but then you've also created this, this table on which you, um, cut out holes uh, in which the clay pots fit perfectly. And that's now what you're talking about. You've you planted in those clay pots. You've planted, um, there's, a, oh, a good dozen or more of those clay pots. You've planted rosemary. What's that? Romarin? Uh, yes. Yeah, thyme, which is what? Team? Team. No. team. No. I T- T- in French. Okay, <laughs> think I'm getting a good French lesson here too. In um, y- particular, uh, vegetal like uh,
3: strawberry mint. Uh, you you smell it five minutes ago. It's fantastic, and uh, um, and strawberry mint. You you can use it in a, in an infusion, but you can use it for a, a cocktail mojito, for example. uh,
0: I was so surprised at how much strawberry comes off that mint when you rub it between your fingers and and sniff. It's like you have exactly strawberry mint. I mean, it's not like it's no stretch of the imagination. How is it? How can the chef come up and use these things? Does he have his kitchen staff run up and take a few sprigs from the plants and run back down? Or how does he use these?
3: Uh, A part of these plants are there for the inspiration of the chief. Uh, Sometimes he he don't use it, but to see this plant, to smell this plant, uh, can give it, uh, give him uh, ideas and create uh, for uh, a plat, a dessert, and it's interesting uh, for him. And the other, um, the other idea of this place is to have a a place uh, in Paris with a season. And it's a pedagogic place uh, for his team, uh, because uh, because when you are in winter and you want to have uh, mint or basilic, you can't. And sometimes he go on the rooftop with his team to explain him uh, work with a season production, and it's very important to use don't don't use tomatoes on uh, the winter, and you have a uh, celery, you have a thyme, you have. Plant like that you can find uh, all the years, but you have to work with season. It's really important for the chief Thierry Max.
0: Yeah. And it's true. I mean, I think it's very important to, to underscore that the, this isn't a greenhouse on the top of the roof. These are plants that are out in the open. And so, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago here, we had almost, it was almost summertime already. And, but now today it's quite, it's quite cold. So, I mean, the, the plants have to really adapt to, to the environment that they have. They're not kept in a greenhouse. So as you were saying earlier, you can't have basil, basil in January, it's, right?
3: Yes, it's right. And um, we work with a, a plant nursery close to Lyon uh, in France uh, and uh, we produce uh, all uh, organic plants. And uh, when we have to choose or to when we need to plant uh, new uh, herbs on this garden, uh, we choose organic plants only because it's very important uh, to have... Uh, Bio- biologic like we say in France, organic. organic, organic in English. It's really important for the chief, and we never use uh, um, produits phytosanitaires. I don't know the English name of the treatment for the.
0: I think like chem- like chemical or phyto like.
3: always natural product for uh, for this garden, and it grow really slowly because we don't use uh, anything. Uh, uh, we all Paris uh, herbs garden.
0: You know your your background too, Christophe, is fascinating because um, as we were speaking a moment ago, you did your studies in the Loire Valley, which uh, was traditionally known as the Garden of the Kings. So I find that very uh, apropos. You know that you you did your studies in Blois and Tours, correct? Um, but you are Parisian, so I mean you are you're a landscape artist, uh, architect. I mean landscape architect. Um, but you're a real urban farmer. I mean you're here creating farms and urban gardens in the city. So your perspective must be, uh, you know, an an interesting one, especially now that there's been such an effort by the city, by Paris, the city of Paris, to plant as many rooftop gardens and urban gardens in basically any free space that people want to cordon off as their own and cultivate. But there aren't a lot of rooftops in Paris. So how can you see the city becoming more farmed?
3: Paris, it's a, it's a really old city. And uh, when you are on the rooftop of the Mandarin Oriental, uh, you, you, you see that a few minutes ago. Um, you don't have many rooftops. Uh, it's a rare part of Paris. So when you have a, a building like the Mandarin Oriental uh, uh, in Paris, when you have a, um, a good place to make a rooftop garden It's really uh, interesting for me and to work with uh, the chief Thierry Marx uh, and made a mix in urban garden, herbs garden and the kitchen you need in the palace. So you have mix uh, all these things um, and uh, have a sort of uh, atmosphere of Paris uh, and the sort of exotism because we are in the Mandarin Oriental Paris And some the herbs are not from France. Uh, Some uh, uh, I know uh, the chief remarks uh, works with uh, some uh, herbs uh, like uh, come from uh, the India or Asia.
0: Oh yeah, that curry plant that you had me smell. There's that plant that when you when you you know, rub the little leaves between your fingers, it smells exactly like curry. And we, I know Chef Marx really loves to do a lot of things with Asian influences, so it's, maybe that's something that he he asked you to plant. I don't know.
3: Yes, it, it really is really that. And uh, this plant curry plant, it's a Mediterranean plant uh, who smell curry, and you can use it on a meat, for example, and the the smell of the curry is really impressive.
0: It really is. It's like one little leaf. You could see it would just infuse the whole, the whole piece of the whole cut, um, of meat. If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Paris, good food and wine with me, your host. Page Donner. You know, I wanted to ask a little bit to you, you know, you touched on it a moment ago talking about how you the, you know, the chef insisted in, and of course you went along with it of, of doing planting everything organic and all your plants come from an organic nursery in Lyon. Is that what she said? Yeah. So, um, and I know that the Mandarin Oriental here too in Paris, this hotel has a strong eco-responsible, you know, philosophy. So, in regards to, you, you told me a little anecdote about the, um, the beehives. There are some beehives up there too. Can you repeat that story? Thank you.
3: <laughs> um, yes, because, um, at the beginning of the Mandarin Oriental, uh, the Thierry remarks uh, want to have <clears throat> bee Hives. Help me, bee hives, because this this word is difficult for me because <laughs> I don't know the name of the house of the bees. <laughs> so the bee hives. Uh, the Mandarin Oriental have two bee hives uh, on the rooftop, um, and during the good season, uh, all the bees come uh, on the flower of this uh, herbs garden. And uh, the, the the funny story of this uh, this use of the honey is when the client come in the Mandarin Oriental, uh, when they make the choice to don't uh, wash every day the, the the towels, the shower towels, um, the Mandarin Oriental give to this uh, customer, to this client, a small uh, pot of honey uh, to thank them to preserve the planet. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that's a wonderful philosophy. And I know too that with, um, with the city, with their permis de vegetaliser, the, it wasn't really a law that was passed last summer, but it was kind of, um, an action, I guess, maybe an, an action point where people can apply for this permis de, this garden permit and, and plant things. And I, from what I've read so far is that I think, um, it's very encouraged to plant herbs and plants that will attract bees support the bee population. It seems like Paris has a very strong, I don't know, mandate to, to, you know, there's, a, um, honey is cultivated on the top of the Grand, the Grand Palais, on top of the Opera, on top of the Mandarin Oriental. I know you know more. I don't, I don't know all the places to, to list, but, um. Yeah, yes
3: and um because now uh bees uh have a healthy life uh, in a uh, city because uh, city don't use uh, pesticide and uh it's more easy to have bees in city now and uh, to encourage uh Parisian to have uh, herbs or garden on the rooftop uh, the the Anne Hidalgo uh the chief of Paris the mayor, <laughs> the, mayor the mayor of Paris uh <laughs> Encourage to have a garden like that. And, but it's difficult to have a rooftop in Paris because the typology of Paris, uh, it's an old city and you have uh, not many rooftops. You have zinc roof and a chimney with a clay, but uh, you have just small uh, balcony. And um
0: You know, well, it's true, it's true. I mean, the Haussmannian buildings that, you know, that Paris is so famous for, yeah, they don't have flat roofs. Now, as a landscape artist, how do you look at things then? Like, if you say, well, if I can't plant a roof, can I plant a wall? Or, I mean, how do you, like, what what's your vision when you look around the city? Do you see all kinds of spaces that need a garden? Or do you kind of go, oh, well, those are a lot of constraints to work around. I mean, I you know, you're the landscape artist, so I don't know what vision... You... Um, for, for me,
3: I'm fascinating by uh, by New York. For me, New York is an example of a rooftop garden, of, uh, of a garden in the city, on the ground, and practice of the um, a community practice to make together gardens or make grow some vegetables uh, on the feet of the, the trees. And I think it's more difficult in Paris um, because it's not in the in the mind on in the culture um to work together and to have garden or a small place like that and um for me it's good that Anne Hidalgo encouraged to have a garden like that but in practice I think it's it's more difficult like in other city like New York for example
0: or Los Angeles where all the roofs are flat. <laughs> as a native Parisian, are there any places when you walk around the city? Um, I know you mentioned you have a project you're working on for public housing in Menemontant, which is uh, an area up in the 20th arrondissement. Um, but I mean, are there any areas when you walk around the city or, or areas that you've grown up knowing that you say, oh, I would really love to get my hands on that, you know, in the sense of like, I can really see planting something there.
3: One of the most famous places in Paris is uh, uh, the Eiffel Tower and the Champ de Mars. Is uh, the Champ de Mars? is just uh, a big grass and uh, and trees uh, plant on the behind of this uh, this place. And you you could make a real uh, beautiful place, uh, a beautiful garden for this place. Uh, but it's difficult to have a garden uh, a real garden on this place because Champs-Mars is used for a great demonstration or manifestation so you you, you can't just have a grass on it uh, but in my mind I, I, I really like make of this place a, an urban uh, extraordinary garden well,
0: another thing another point too, and, and and we'll wind this up but you mentioned that the garden here that you've planted on the rooftop with in you know with terry marks um it's he uses that he uses it as a pedagogical uh garden as well so he uses it to help teach his staff things to use and the seasons of things now do you as a landscape artist do you ever work with um, say school children or do you ever work with the youth in terms of kind of trying to teach them how to use the very limited space? Maybe they just have a tiny balcony at home, but maybe even on a balcony we can plant something. Um,
3: I made uh, some school in Paris and in the suburb of Paris for for kids, and uh, we have pedagogic garden on this uh, school. But school in France are closed in uh, July and August. And it's the the, the most uh, it's, it's the, the period of the the year uh, when you harvest the the legumes the 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 plants the herbs. So at that period uh, the school is closed. So <laughs> you you make work uh, all the child uh, during uh, two three months to 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 make grow all these vegetables and you can't use it uh, at the end. So it's. Um, but at that time, uh, I'm working on an uh high school close to Paris, uh, and uh, Vitry-sur-Seine, and uh, it's a really uh, big school uh, for horticulture. And we are creating uh, an arboretum and different places to people for uh, students uh, who are um, learning uh, horticulture and landscaping. So in a few years, uh, you you will have a new lycée horticole uh, uh, close to Paris.
0: That's very cool. So a horticultural high school. Like high school oriented towards teaching people like, like what you're doing, landscape art, architecture and planting. And that's great. That's great. You know, you're inspiring me, inspiring me now because I have a little balcony <laughs> on my office and I keep wanting to plant something there. So now I'm going to try and get some advice, I think, from you. <laughs> what can I plant on my little balcony? I don't know. I, actually, that might be a good question to, to round this up with. Um, you know, if you have a tiny little balcony, you know, that's like one not even one square meter. Um, what what would be some of the easiest like what would be an easy some easy herbs maybe to plant?
3: a herb, or you can try uh, thym, le thyme, uh, because it's uh, evergreen. You have green leaves all the years. It's important when you have a balcony uh, to have a, a green sensation all the years. And you have a lot of plants who keep uh, the leaves uh, on the trees uh, all the years. And like uh, Oranger du Mexique, for example, it's uh, a small shrubs, uh, really beautiful with uh, white flowers and really easy to make grow. And the flowers smell uh, orange. So it's really nice and really easy for a beginner.
0: I'm going to make a note of that one. That one sounds lovely. That one sounds really lovely. I want to thank you so much, Christophe. Thanks for doing this interview with us today. Thank
3: you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Be sure to check out our website at parisfoodandwine.net. This episode has been brought to you by the generous support of Paris Food and Wine. Follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine Facebook at Paris Food and Wine and you can find me on Instagram at page Food Wine A very special thank you to voiceover artist Paul Rean who did the English voiceover for the Chef Marho Collegreco interview Looking for something fun with wine to do this month? Check May 19th and 20th off on your calendar. These are the days, a Friday and a Saturday, when La Revue de Vins de France, France's most widely read wine magazine, holds their annual wine-tasting salon, Le Salon du Vin, in the centre of Paris. It takes place at the Palais Brugnard, also known as the Bourges, in the second arrondissement. Over 200 major wine producers will be present and pouring their wines for you to taste. Also, for English speakers this year, Frank Romage, the wine director of Le Cordon Bleu, will be hosting a special workshop on food and wine pairings that will be presented in both English and French. That takes place on Friday, May 19th from 5 to 6 p.m. with a nominal cost of 12 euros. General admission to Le Salon du Vin event is 23 euros for a one-day pass and 28 euros for a two-day pass. If you purchase the pass in advance from their website, La Revue du Vin de France, you'll even get a discount. The pass gives you free access to taste any and all of the wines from the 200 top wine producers featured at the salon additional workshops such as a tasting of chateau de Kem are featured on the schedule and come with a recognized name sommelier wine professional to guide the experience check for ticket availability beforehand because these popular events sell out fast more information can be found on the la revue de vin de france website as well as on our website, Local Food and Wine and Paris Food and Wine, and also Twitter at Paris Food Wine. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible. And especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine. And like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.